Well, we're looking at the book of Matthew, and we're in the early chapters. We just, Yeshua is just immersed. And after coming out of the waters of immersion, he's tempted in the wilderness. And then he does two things. He begins to teach that the kingdom of heaven is near. And in, in the same way with, with this teaching, he starts to draw disciples to himself. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at disciples. We read words, but we don't really understand what they really mean. The word disciple is a case in point. We're going to define just what a disciple is today. The average Christian, when you say the word disciples, thinks of 12 or 13 men that are the pillars of the church. But the fact is that the first century believers called themselves disciples. If, I, if you do a word search on the term disciple, you're going to find that it's used over and over in the book of Acts. When speaking of the believers, I pulled up a few couple of short quotes to make my point. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. Notice it says that they called themselves disciples. Their numbers grew. But not just in Jerusalem. If we read in Acts chapter 9 and verse 19, it says, And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. The believers in the diaspora, the non-Jews in the diaspora were disciples. You know, but as I said, we read these things, but, you know, the same thing doesn't come to our minds as did to theirs when they heard the word disciple. And if we're going to understand Yeshua in the time in which we live, we need to understand this term disciple so that we'll understand what Yeshua was doing when he was gathering these men unto himself. We need to understand it before he begins to teach, before we begin to look at his teachings, so it'll have his teachings will have the same impact upon us. And the first thing that we're going to find is that the disciple, this rabbi-disciple relationship, wasn't something that Yeshua started, but it had a definite meaning when Yeshua came into the world. The rabbi, of course, the rabbis, of course, were teachers. And any teacher is going to go out and gather to himself students or disciples. We should say students because that's probably uh, a, the best way for us to understand this term, disciple. It was first the disciples' responsibility to learn, learn and memorize each and every teaching of his rabbi. Everything he said. Or did until those teachings were part of him, were part of his heart, were in his heart, word for word. If you go to the library, we have some volumes of the Mishnah and the Tosefta, which are the customs of the first century and before. And what you need to know is that those volumes, before they were written down, were passed on orally for generations. They were memorized word for word and passed on from generation to generation. Each disciple would eventually become a rabbi, a teacher, and then go out and gather disciples. And I'm going to use some quotes by Ray Vanderland, 
who did a lot of research on this topic. And I just want to listen to what Ray has to say about what a disciple was. Listen to what he says about memorization. Memorization wasn't important because the people did not have their own copy of Scripture, so they either had to know it by heart or go to a synagogue to consult the village scroll. Memory was enhanced by reciting aloud a practice that is still widely used in Middle Eastern education for both Jews and Muslims. Constant repetition was considered to be an essential element of learning. You know, this is something we miss when we read our Bibles. Scripture and learning your rabbi's teaching wasn't a matter of going out and buying a Bible and the latest copies of your rabbi's CDs or books or sermon notes. There were none. Scrolls were handwritten and expensive. Scripture had to be memorized. If you look at sermons like those of Peter on the day of Pentecost or Paul or Stephen, you have to understand they didn't have a pocket Bible that they pulled out for their Scripture references. They're quoting from memory. And this was the method that that was used to pass along the law in the traditions. And so first understand that it was a disciple's task to learn word for word the Master's teaching. Listen to what uh, what else he has to say. Students sought permission to study with a famous rabbi, often leaving home to travel with him for a lengthy period of time. These students were called Talmudim in Hebrew, which is translated disciple. A Talmud Talmud wanted to be like his teacher, that is to become what his teacher is. And that meant that students were passionately devoted to their rabbi and noted everything he did or said. This meant that the rabbi-Talmud relationship was a very intense and personal system of education. As the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of Scripture, his students listened and watched and imitated so as to become like him. Eventually, they would become teachers passing on a lifestyle to their Talmudim. Not only did a Talmud, Talmud, did the Talmudim learn Scripture word for word, he learned his rabbi's teachings word for word, his blessings, the way he said his blessings, the way he lived out the commands of God. And here we're told that a student was to end up being a copy of his rabbi, the rabbi he studied under. He'd end up being a copy of him. And I can't emphasize how important this one fact is. This is how the culture was passed on from generation to generation. And their understanding of Scripture and the law was passed on from generation to generation. These Talmudim didn't stray from their rabbi's teaching. Now get this if you don't get anything else today. This is the relationship that's spoken of when Yeshua goes out to gather disciples. When he says, come follow me, he quite literally means, come follow me. That's what is meant. Not, hey, I just did a great eight-week study on the Messiah in the Torah. And a 12-week study on the temple. Why don't you come over and listen to him? But it was, come follow me. I want to make a copy of myself so that you can go out and make copies. 
It was a lifetime commitment to become like your rabbi, to study like he studied, to carry out the commands of God as he carried out the commands, to teach as he taught. And you have to understand this concept of disciple if you're going to understand the first century followers of Yeshua. Being a disciple was no easy matter. It was so hard that everyone couldn't follow the rabbi. And we see this in the gospel when Yeshua calls a rich young man. He says, come follow me. Sell all you have and come follow me. Give what you have to the poor. Then come follow me. That was the prerequisite for following Yeshua. For becoming one of his Talmudim. You had to give up what you had and follow Yeshua. And it's a tough, tough condition. Too tough for the rich young man. He couldn't follow. Listen again as Ray goes on. The decision to follow a rabbi as a Talmud meant total commitment in the first century as it does today. Since a Talmud was totally devoted to becoming like the rabbi, he would have spent his entire time listening and observing the teacher to know how to understand the scripture and how to put it into practice. You see, Yeshua's requirements were not easy. And when you understand what this relationship was and what it meant for the disciples, words of Yeshua begin to come alive for you. Like Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his Lord. It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his Lord. You see, Yeshua is calling his disciples to be like him, to learn his teachings, his walk through life. And as we're going to see, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it would be far different than what they had learned from the Pharisees and what the Pharisees had lived and taught. We read that the rabbi lived out his words and his teachings for his disciples. Listen to Yeshua again in John chapter 13 and verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set this example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so we learn that when the training was over, that student, that disciple was a copy of his rabbi. And again, the words of Yeshua in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, a student is not above his teacher, but every one who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Yeshua, when he calls his disciples, he's saying, come follow me. And what he means is come live as I live. Teach what I teach. Pray as I pray. Love God and men the way I love the Father and my fellow men. So this is the world that we step into as we're going to listen to the Sermon on the Mount next week. This is the world we're stepping into, the culture that we're going to be walking in as we read the book of Matthew. 
And it's one of personal relationship, one where Yeshua's disciples had to learn the words of the Master while He walked on the earth and He walked them out. One where Matthew, John, Peter, and the rest learned the teachings of Yeshua word for word. The Sermon on the Mount is a great example of that. Think about the Sermon on the Mount for a moment. Matthew does not write his Gospel down until 65 common era or after. And so for 35 years... He walked around with that in his memory banks. And he quoted those things back to those he witnessed to. Then as he's getting older, 35 years later, he sees the other disciples being martyred. He looks at how finite amount of time he has left and he realizes, I have to write these things down. Because I'm not going to be able to teach much longer. But for 35 years, he had them in his memory banks, word for word. And if we look to the end of this relationship with Yeshua, we hear him send these men out that he has made copies of himself. He sends them out with these instructions. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And then Yeshua came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so what we see is these, they are carefully and fully trained and he sends them out to make disciples teaching them what he has commanded that's the world we're stepping into the world we must understand yeshua's command to them was to go make disciples and nothing else disciples and this is what is meant when he says disciples It's what we just spoke about. They're going to go out and make copies of Rabbi Yeshua. And I want you to see something else that Yeshua did. You see, Yeshua puts a slightly different vent on this whole disciple-rabbi relationship. As we saw, a rabbi would go out and make a copy of himself, but Yeshua tells his disciples something a little different in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 8. He says to them, But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. He is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Messiah. And the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, he sends them out, but there's going to be one thing that's going to be different as they go out. They will not make disciples for themselves but they're going to make disciples of Yeshua. This is not Yeshua's polemic against the word rabbi as some think. It's Yeshua telling his disciples to make copies of him and not themselves. You see, each rabbi was to make a copy of himself, but I got to tell you something about each rabbi. Each rabbi had personal flaws. They had a flesh to deal with. And so Yeshua says, don't make rabbis of yourselves, or you'll pass on those personal flaws as well. But make disciples of me. 
It's why Paul says things like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Messiah. Now you can ask yourself, well, how are they supposed to do that if the Master isn't there? These men have had only three years to learn. Well, something else was given to these disciples to ensure that they were fully trained and their memories wouldn't fail. He does one more thing to ensure that they're going to be able to make followers of and for Messiah. There's one more thing that we should cover that's equally important. Ten days after Yeshua's ascension, something happens that we have to understand. Just before Yeshua's ascension, He says this. He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures and He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He tells them that they need to wait before they go out to make disciples because they're going to need the help of the Spirit of God. And ten days later on Shavuot, on the Temple Mount, the Spirit of God is poured out on these men. And they will be men trained by Messiah with the ongoing direction and the constant reminder of His teachings and principles that Yeshua taught through the leading of the Spirit of God. Look at this. Don't you see the pattern here? The first thing Yeshua does before His ministry begins is He's immersed and the Spirit of God rests upon Him like a dove. And the first thing He tells His disciples to do before they go out into the world to minister is that they wait to receive the Spirit of God. How could they be like their teacher without it? It wasn't enough that they knew the Master's words and teachings. That wouldn't be enough to be a copy of Yeshua. They also needed the same power that empowered Him. And we need to understand, we can see this in the boldness that it will give these men. Peter is a foremost example of this. Not to cut Peter short, because I'm sure he's a man that we would do well to emulate, to strive to be like. But Peter had a problem on the night of Yeshua's arrest for fear of the leaders of the people, the Sanhedrin. He denied knowing Yeshua three times because he knew the fate of a follower of a messianic figure would be the same as the messianic figure. And so he's in fear. However, after waiting for the Spirit of God, as Yeshua tells him to do, we see a different Peter. After receiving the Spirit, he boldly preaches on the temple courts in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 4 and 5, we read, he stood in the very court of the men he feared in the Sanhedrin and accused them of murdering the Messiah Yeshua. So this receiving the Holy Spirit gives these men a boldness and a fearlessness that they didn't have before. They now know what the psalmist says in 118. He says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I will look and triumph on my enemies. 
But not just that. With the Spirit of God, they now have a constant reminder of Yeshua and His teaching. But listen to what, because listen to what Yeshua says in John chapter 16. He says this in verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you than than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine and that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And so these disciples, these are the disciples of Yeshua, thoroughly trained in the teachings and the mission of Messiah to reinterpret the Word of God, to give it full meaning like He did while He was with them. And also because of the death of Messiah, they'll have an ongoing understanding of how to interpret the Torah of God for their time. And so when we read the book of Acts of the number of disciples growing, this is what was meant. On the Temple Mount, 3,000 were added that day. They became disciples. And I want to show you that they did in fact go out and make disciples of Yeshua. Remember I said the rich young man, there's a reason this story is in here. The rich young man couldn't follow Yeshua because he had too much wealth, we're told. Listen to me. Let's read the story just quickly. Matthew chapter 19, verse 20. Yeshua answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure on earth. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And when Yeshua said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Yeshua looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so we have this teaching here And I'm sure most of us would like to forget this teaching, like to ignore it because it is so hard to live out. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow Yeshua. I once heard a Messianic teacher say, well, Yeshua could never meant that, sell all you have, because the Talmud says never give more than 15%, 20%, lest you become destitute. Well, let's see if it was what Yeshua meant and if the disciples understood what Yeshua meant, and if they went out and taught what Yeshua meant. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32 says, All believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and much grace was upon them all. 
So what we see here is the apostles must be teaching this very hard teaching. Because we're told that nobody had more than anyone else. But they had all things in common. Listen to verse 34. And there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, the reason I bring this up is twofold. I want you to see that the disciples followed Yeshua even when it was something that they formerly deemed impossible. And second, they were out teaching what Yeshua taught, no matter how hard it was, because this is one of the hardest things in Scripture to teach. Take it from me. I've never seen anybody do this in all the years I've been teaching it. Because it goes against everything we're taught about this age and in this age. Don't believe me? Then, well, ask yourself, how many times have you seen someone do this? Hardly ever. And the reason is it's hard to live life in Yeshua's kingdom. A life of living by Yeshua's teachings is not an easy life. If we look at Acts chapter 21, it says myriads. We could say tens of thousands of Jews believed, all of them zealous for the Torah. Think about, by the time we get to Acts chapter 21, we're talking about tens of thousands of disciples living, teaching, studying like Yeshua, filled with the Spirit like Yeshua. And we can follow those disciples through history, and they, we can see that they were doing these things in the writings of the church right up until the 4th century. And then they disappear. Let me ask you one more thing, now that you know what a disciple is. How many disciples of Yeshua do we have in the world today? The whole of the church today are to be disciples of Yeshua. These people we read about in our Bibles were disciples. Peter, yes. Stephen, Barnabas, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, Cornelius. And we could go on. All were disciples. Read the book of Acts. The disciples like Shaul kept the Sabbath because they were like the Master Yeshua. The disciples like Shaul and James kept the Passover because they were like their Master Yeshua. The disciples, like Peter, never ate anything unclean because he was like his master, Yeshua. The disciples gave until they had all things in common because they were like their master, Yeshua, the Son of God, who gave himself to make sons of God. And so again, I ask you, where are the disciples in the church today that keep the Sabbath like the master? Where are the disciples in the church today that keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread like the Master? Where are the disciples who don't eat what is unclean like the Master? Do you see what I'm getting at? The church continued. The church continued up to this very day. But the disciples of Yeshua who worshipped as He worshipped, who blessed as He blessed, who prayed as He prayed, who kept Torah as He kept Torah didn't. 
The church, yes. Disciples, no. And if you don't buy that, if you think I kid you, then I have a study for you. It's called Life of the Early Believers. You see, church went out. The disciples were eradicated by the 4th century. Now let me tell you something. Yeshua and the kingdom are praying and waiting for that return. Let me read a, a passage from John chapter 4. You worship, it's talk, Yeshua is talking to a Samaritan worship, uh, woman. He says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. No, it says, notice it says, the hour is coming, and now is. Which means, there were disciples of Yeshua in the first century, who were worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And when it says the hour is coming, it means that's going to be again. There's going to be those disciples of Yeshua again. And Yeshua has been waiting, and the kingdom has been waiting for these true disciples of Yeshua to go out and build His Kehillat, like they did in the first century. The disciples went out and changed the world for God. They were the completeness of the new covenant God made with His people. They were Torah observant, festival keeping, God loving, neighbor loving, worshipers of the Father in spirit and in truth, disciples of Yeshua the Master. But they vanished by the 4th century. And friends, Yeshua has been waiting and the kingdom is waiting for their return. And that return started in the 60s with our Messianic movement. In the 1860s, there was the start of a Hebrew Christian movement in Europe. And they were the start of the Hebrew Christian Alliance, which is the start of the MJAA that came around in the 1960s. You see, there was a revival that came to the Jewish people in the 60s. Young people coming to faith in their Messiah. And there was a start of a Messianic movement the name of the Hebrew Christian Alliance was changed to the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. And they started to teach once again what it meant to be a disciple of Yeshua. We are what the coming age has been waiting for. True disciples of the masters, not just believers in Jesus, but disciples I don't read where Yeshua said, go out and make believers in me. He said, make disciples of me. Just as in the first century, the move began with Messianic Jews who went out into the world and made Messianic non-Jews disciples of Yeshua as well. So did the restoration begin with Messianic Jews. Our movement began in the 60s with Messianic Jews who went out and trained non-Jews to be Messianic disciples of Yeshua. Friends, we are those disciples. The movement we are part of is making disciples of Yeshua once again. They're making those who teach what He taught, live as He lived, ate as He ate, worship as He worshiped. And it's grown. 
from what it was in the 60s, from just a few small congregations, a few people, to myriads of Jews who believe, all of them zealous for the Torah. Myriads more of non-Jews doing the things in the Torah that please God for non-Jews. And I want you to understand that the kingdom of God has been waiting for the Messianic Jewish movement to be restored. And folks, we are it. It all began in the first century with myriads of disciples. And I'm going to tell you that when Yeshua comes, it will end with myriads of disciples. But I have to tell you that it's sad that we're in this one small building. It shouldn't be so. We shouldn't be able to fit into this one small room. True disciples should not be in one 300-seat sanctuary. We need to do what the disciples did and go make disciples of Yeshua. And the time of disciples has begun. And the return of the Jewish people has begun. The return of the Israel of God has begun. And just as the disciples went out and witnessed Messiah Yeshua to the world and made disciples of Messiah Yeshua, so too are we to be those witnesses for Messiah. And we are to make those who walk in the footsteps of Messiah. Not the Messiah the church portrays. Not the gospel that the church preaches. But we are to complete the great commission. Go out and make disciples of Yeshua, students of the Master, those who walk in the footsteps of the Messiah.